Today marks part four of our sermon series on the power of the parable. A favorite rhetorical device of Jesus, a parable is a story that illustrates a principle usually without explanation. They are simple and life-sized with familiar characters and they are supposed to drive us crazy. Over the centuries, the parables have become so watered down through the church that they no longer carry the same weight and punch that they once did. The familiar parables are beloved to us. The feast, the mustard seed, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the lost sheep. But during the time of Jesus, they were frustrating and they were confusing. During this month, we are attempting to recover this sense of strangeness and re-encounter the power of Jesus' parables. Please pray. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On the 5th of July, I drove into the church parking lot. I parked my car and I walked into this sanctuary. The light of the sun was streaming through the stained glass windows like it is right now, and everything looked absolutely picturesque. It was perfectly quiet, so I knelt down in one of the pews and prayed as I do every morning. Oh Lord, help me to follow your son in all that I do, that I might worthily magnify your name, or something like that. And then I got up and I walked over my office on the other side of the building, I checked my email, made a few phone calls, and I even opened up my Bible. The phone rang while I was reading from the Gospel of Luke, and I knew it was Ashley, our church secretary, calling from the main office. What do you want? I answered. Um, she said, did you see the woman in a bathing suit lying down in one of the parking spaces outside? That's how it all began. <laughs> a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. From the safety of Ashley's office, we peered through the blinds to assess the situation. All the way in the furthest parking spot away from the building, the one right on Augusta Street, the one right across <laughs> from the Huggins house, was a woman on her back wearing nothing but a bathing suit. She looked pretty rough. You're a pastor, aren't you supposed to do something? Ashley said while elbowing me in the ribs. <laughs> of course I'm supposed to do something, I said proudly as I started through the door without really knowing what that something was. Now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw me, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. It took a while to walk across the lawn in the parking lot, and with each step I took, I noticed another car driving down the road. Car after car after car came blazing by while the woman was curled up on the asphalt, and not one of them so much as slowed it down to check on her. I prayed that someone would stop to take care of her. I prayed and I prayed so that I wouldn't have to do it, but God wasn't listening to me on the 5th of July. She rolled along to her side as I got close, and she looked at me right in the eye. 
She smelled like the basement of a fraternity house after rush weekend. Her bathing suit had small little rifts in different places, and she looked utterly bewildered. For a time, neither of us spoke. And then I remembered that I'm a Christian, so I said, can I help you? I could use a ride, she said with a hiccup and a twinkle in her eye. What happened to you? I asked before realizing that it sounded remarkably judgmental. I'm not sure, she began. The last thing I remember is being at the park on the 4th of July, partying, having a lot to drink, having a really good time. And then I woke up in someone's yard over there, she said while gesturing to the north end of Stanton. I tried to walk home, I continued, but I lost my phone and my wallet, and I think I'm still a little messed up, so I decided to take a nap here in this nice park. Okay, I said, I'll drive you home. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. I grabbed her by the hand and I helped her up from the ground. As she struggled to steady herself, I offered my arm as we walked over to the car. The great gulf of our lawn and the parking lot from where I found her to where I had parked my car that morning felt completely ridiculous because with every two steps we took forward, she began to lean backward and we had to stop to get resettled. At one point, she stopped altogether and she looked up in the air. You should have been there last night, she said dreamily. The lights and everything and the colors were just like incredible. Between maintaining her balance and trying to get us to the car, I didn't have time to notice all the cars that were slowing down to see a bathing suit clad young woman tripping over her own feet in the arms of a young and balding pastor. <laughs> But I did glance over my shoulder at one point, and I could feel all of the eyeballs of people in their cars silently judging me from afar. I eventually got her buckled in and asked her to guide me to her house back on the other side of town. It was eerily quiet as we reversed out of the parking lot, so I decided to turn on the radio to NPR to fill the void. However, after only listening for a few moments, she asked where all the voices were coming from, so I decided it was better to turn it off completely. As we passed by the post office on Augusta Street, she cautioned me against driving too quickly for fear that the government might lock us up forever. You know they're always watching, watching and listening to everything. While we drove around the corner near the library, she acted as if she was on a roller coaster going around a sharp turn. She threw her hands up in the air and she shouted, Woo! I love this part of the ride! <laughs> and then when we circled around the park, she let forth a burp that smelled of stale beer, hot dogs, and regret. So are you like a pastor or something? She asked during a moment of clarity while I was trying to focus on the room. Well, I am, I told her. I found you in the church parking lot where I serve. Well, you don't look like no pastor to me. I laughed and I began to explain how God really doesn't care what we wear so long as we work for the Lord, but she wasn't listening to me anymore. Instead, she was looking out the window and humming to herself a tune that sounded vaguely familiar until I realized it was the Star Spangled Banner. We had a really hard time finding her house as we went up and down streets, and she either could not read the street signs or she refused to open her eyes to read them at all. 
this Christian adventure and experience I found myself in was leading me to really wonder about this whole following Jesus Christ thing when we finally pulled up in front of our house. The next day, he took out two denarii, he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you what more you spent. We sat there in the car for a minute or two while she looked out the window at her house with a strange and detached look on her. Between the sight and the smell of her in my car, I was ready to be rid of her, but unsure of how to bring our episode to a conclusion. Finally, she reached out her hand toward the handle, and I blurted out, Are you sure you're going to be okay? I asked the question with the smallest scrape of Christian compassion, more out of fear than love. And when she did not immediately respond, I started to wonder whether or not I had any money in my wallet that I could offer, or if I needed to walk her to the door to explain to someone what had happened. And then she said, Honey, this happens to me all the time. Thanks for coming. With that, she fell out of my car. She picked herself up, staggered across the lawn and up to the front door. Only after I saw her struggle to find keys, keys she didn't have, and saw someone open the door and usher her in, did I feel comfortable leaving and driving back to work. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. But Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. i got to tell you, for the rest of the day, I felt pretty good about myself. <laughs> After all, I had showed the party girl mercy. I even drove her home. I was the good Samaritan. As the days had passed, and as I looked out across the front lawn of this church, I thought more and more about my experience. I've wondered about the kind of situation she was in that led her to drinking and partying so much that she had no recollection of how she wound up in a stranger's lawn in the north of the town. What could have driven her to the point of blacking out? I found myself wondering if she's doing any better or if she's making the same kind of bad decision. Does she have a family or friends that care about what she's doing and where she's going? thought a lot about all those cars that passed her on the morning of July the 5th. And I wondered to myself that if she was passed out in the parking lot of another church, and if I was driving by, would I have stopped to check on her myself? I might have been a Samaritan to the woman in our parking lot, but I certainly wasn't a very good one. I judged her for the kind of behavior that brought her to lie down at this church. I avoided asking her personal questions for fear of getting too connected and having to do more than I already did. I didn't even invite her to ever come to church here at St. John's on Sunday morning. The good Samaritan. Take it from me, it's easier to preach than it is to practice. So be careful with the whole go and do life. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now.